Jason, you just interrupted my yo. That's God okay. damn it. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I just, you know, I, I feel like this year we cut our episodes in half. And so I did half as many yo's this year. But that's okay. Yo, we're still in the building. <laughs> and we have a special guest host. Um, we have Mr. Mike DC, Mike McTurnan. What's up, Mike? Hello, everybody. Thank you for having me. Um, thank you for joining us, really. Where, uh, where is Hardcore Suit Man? Hardcore <laughs> Suit Man is uh, disposed. I, I, uh, he just said he had some family stuff to do and couldn't join us today. And so I was like, you know what? I have a suitable, repla- a suitable replacement for you while we talk about... <laughs> Jason, what, what, what are we talking about today? This week we're talking about the Battery LP, Whatever It Takes, Revelation number 65, released in 1998. Mm-hmm. And so Mike is here because I asked him to come and offer his opinion or his thoughts and feelings about this record because his brother, Brian, was the singer of Battery, but... If you really want the meat and potatoes of this, uh, or the potatoes and and fake meat of this episode, which is the outro chatter, the only way that you'll be able to hear that is if you are a patron, and you can be a patron by going to whereitwentpodcast.com, signing up, even if you just sign up for one month, because you, this, this conversation is just so interesting to you, you want to hear... I, I I highly recommend that. There's some bonus material and um, Mike will be featured on that. But one of the other reasons we brought Mike on today is because when we... Yes. We are talking about Jinx Proof Tattoo, uh, who is one of Ooh. this episode's sponsors. And Mike... You worked at Jinx Proof Tattoo in Washington, D.C., correct? That is right. I uh, I was one of the first people on board when they first opened. So I was there from the very beginning, and I still get tattooed there occasionally. Uh, by Well, I saw Carl, one of the owners, last week, and Tad. He works still – Tad still works there, so I got to – I'm still very close with those guys, and I love them. So, so very I proud think, of them. I think we have – Matching tattoos, Mike, because Tad tattooed the minor threat sheep on me years ago, and I think he did the same tattoo on you. But yours is yours is a variation of the one that I have. Oh, nice salad days. That's sick. With the it doesn't really work for the podcast that well. That's okay. (laughs) I just just explained it for the visually impaired. Yeah, and I've got mine. Back right there, awesome. You so know. that's the. You don't have a. I don't have, you have the, a I sheep for now. Okay. I don't have the sheep now. Yeah, that's the first well, tattoo that I got on this arm, and I wanted Tad to do it because I was psyched to see. So Tad has tattooed Brian Baker many times, yeah. and me being kind of there's a lot of the fucking different nerd ways. You, you could call it nerd, but there's something. <laughs> I think there's something cool about Tad tattooed Brian Baker. 
Tad loves minor threat. Used the same he needle texts. on you, so it has the same yeah. juju. <laughs> he didn't do that, but I just think I think there's something cool about him tattooing Brian Baker, and then yeah, I, I think that that's tattooed by that's him. actually really sick. Like, I probably at, I, at one point I would not have, but now that I'm older, I would get the social distortion skeleton by the guy who tattoos Mike Ness. I would do something nerdy like that. Yeah. And only because I'm an old guy who lives in Orange County, it's now acceptable to to do that. But, um, you know, yeah, I don't want to hijack this episode by saying how amazing Tad is. No, but, you know, I could talk about how amazing Tad is. And Jason, you, I'm sure you could. Yeah, I can back that that. But he's such a good dude. So I'm just, you know, I just thought I would throw that out there. But yeah. So did you work at Jinx Proof when Dan Higgs worked there? I did. And so one, so it's all, uh, I can tell you a funny story about that. So the first time he like, I, I didn't know anything about him and I think I had been away for like a week playing shows or something. And I came in one day and there was a, a really raggedy looking dude who looked homeless, you know, just real long beard, crazy hair. And he was wearing a, um, uh, like a apron, that almost looked like it was covered in blood. And I was like, Oh my God, what is this? Are we going to have to like kick out another homeless dude? <laughs> and then I'm like, okay, this is just really weird. Cause he's just walking around looking at the walls, just kind of staring. And I went up and like asked Carl, I was like, yo man, what's up with this dude? He's like, Oh, that's Dan. He's going to be working here for a couple days. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> but then, you know, we were out front one day and he goes, Hey man, you mind if I do a straight edge tattoo on you someday? And I was like, sure. He's like, yeah. Cause we're like straight edge brothers. Uh. And I still, it was while he was smoking a cigarette. So I still never understood what that is. And I'm kind of bummed that I didn't get it, but, but yeah, I mean, he was, he was a really kind person. Um, I didn't interact with him too much, but very nice guy with what little interaction I did have with him. Man, that was is, awesome. Is he, like uh, f- friendly to the Hari Krishna, Hari Krishnas as well. I feel like my friend Gora Jivana has posted lots of photos with Dan Higgs at the Los Angeles Hari Krishna Temple, but I- I've never met him. Oh, so I'm I, not quite sure. I don't know. You know, honestly, I know nothing about him other than like people rip off his style a lot. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of artists just steal uh, what he's done. But um, yeah, so I wouldn't be able to say anything else about. Like interesting who he hangs out with or yeah. his relationships with people yeah it's cool when you go into jinx proof though you can see there's some dan higgs flash there on the walls yeah. so just uh i can't recommend them as a tattoo shop enough to go to i'm psyched that they're sponsoring this episode they have this deep connection with hardcore where mike worked the counter there yeah. jeff from better than a thousand worked there dan higgs worked there briefly it's just if you don't want to go and get tattooed there, go on their website and check out the shirts that they have or gift certificates for someone coming up. It's Christmas yeah. time and you can just yeah. bless someone with the gift that keeps giving tattoos. Yeah, I just got I ordered the new shirt shirt that um the, uh, guest artist who works there occasionally, Jeff Whitehead did, and I just ordered that uh last week, 2 weeks ago. Just got that and um you know, but yeah, they're, they have so much history and, and even Carl and Tim, the owners, they played some, such a pivotal role in like Carl mainly like 
Delaware, New Jersey, Philly, you know, he's on the turning point seven inch and he was originally with that whole crew. And, and then Tim with more of like, uh, uh, what's it called? Eastern Shore, Maryland. But you know, both of them have been into hardcore for thirty plus years. You know, so you have have that connection, and it's really neat. It goes back to seeing people who are passionate about something that come from our family succeed. Yeah, and they definitely are two examples of that. Yeah, as yeah. a someone growing up on the West Coast in the nineties, the two tattoo shops that come to mind on the East Coast were Jinx Proof and Halo. Um, I never got tattooed at Jinx Proof, but I got tattooed at Halo twice while on tour. And, um, oh, yeah, the King Ron, shout out to King Ron and, um, yes, and Grez, yeah, the brothers of yours, right? In the in the the DNA family, uh huh, that's right, Rose, yeah, yeah, they're all, you know, and both of those shops opened up at the about the same time and jinx proof was very the guys carl well carl and tim were very helpful to dj and ron uh by helping them out with flash and you know just advice on opening a shop so you know they're kind of hand in hand because they opened right around the same time Mm -hmm. it's crazy how far tattooing has evolved since those days in the nineties and to see the trends go from like new school to Uh, traditional and Japanese. And like, man, I have all of the above on one arm and it's a terrible mess. I need to to go visit you to get some of it cleaned up before I do something weird. Like get someone with a fucking 14 needle shader, just blacking my arm out. Yeah, you know, and that's, like, I'm so thankful, like, because I started getting tattooed when I was 15, mm-hmm. and I'm um, 48, and it could have gone either way. It could have yeah. been a huge disaster, or it could have paid off, and luckily for me, with I do laser removal now, and I'm, so I've been part of that tattoo community for 30 years, and so it's, like, cool, you know. I it ended up paying off for me, so I'm yeah. so thankful that I do have some trash on me, and I'm re- I'm in the process of removing it, so yeah. I can start again. Mike, why don't you tell the people uh, what your company is called? Well, I work for a company called Removery, and we're all over the U.S. I think we have 150, eh, uh, well, 130 studios now, but. We also are in Canada and Australia. So, yeah, if anybody's interested in laser removal, let me know. Yeah. Uh, Do you have an office in Los Angeles? We have several. Hermosa Beach, Valencia. Valencia is a bit far. My wife actually works in Hermosa Beach. Beep. Long Beach. Yeah, that's like fucking 10 Um, minutes from me. Sick. (laughs) All right, I'm going to hit you up. (laughs) Um, and I forget there's a couple like, yeah, we just have so many and Uh then a bunch in orange County, Brea. What? Um, and yeah, there's, there's a bunch. So I'm just drawing a blank. Today's been a long day. Yeah. 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 And also bit at bow to Robbie red cheeks, right? Fellow employee to you. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. You know that Robbie's another one I've known for 30 plus years, just, from booking shows and uh-huh. just Legend. hanging out, being all around great person. Legendary. Um, yes. So yeah, it's good. 
Jason, do you, you have, have any? Or go ahead. Sorry, I was going to ask Mike. Does he have any battery tattoos? You know what? I don't. Okay. So, but but there is there is one that I've been planning for years. It's just a matter of where I want to get it. But, uh-huh. um, I actually got a be well tattoo before I got a battery tattoo. Uh, but I think I have to get battery and ashes also. Uh-huh. So I'm gonna get. So I have to get both of those. It's just a matter of. You know, it's just, I I know what it's going to be and where, and I just, it's a matter of going and doing it. So I have a, I have an uh, ashes story for the outro. But before we get there, Jason, do you have anything else that you need to shout? I don't think that I do. I just want to give a shout out a bit about to new age records. Um, Mike Mike Hartsfield. He's been, uh, I've, I've been speaking to him a lot, a lot lately because my band has signed to New Age Records, my band Back to Godhead. We just played a show. We put out a three-song promo to announce. Uh, Flint from Life Force, who was on New Age Records, wrote an article for us on No Echo. And it's just been... Oh, a no Echo is amazing also, yeah, Carlos. So, yep. Yeah, two ama- Mike and Carlos, two incredible people. Yeah. So. Actually, it, it, funny enough, I don't know if I've ever told this story, but... Like two years before we started this podcast, I had a meeting with Carlos and my I was going to do a new a, a no echo podcast. It was going to be called the no echo podcast. And I even recorded like two demo episodes of it. And then it just didn't materialize. I couldn't get it together by myself. And then finally, one day, Greg was like, yo, do you want to do this other podcast? And so. I could this my life could have had a whole different trajectory if I would have just been able to do the No Echo podcast. It's so cool because so I I reached out to Carlos a while ago um and cuz I wanted to interview wrestlers who had a punk rock background nice. and cuz there's so many now and uh-huh. I've been a fan of wrestling longer than anything else like I started watching wrestling I think in 79 so when I was 5 years old mm. and it's it's something you know i dip my toe in and out of for past years you know but it's just neat to turn on the the tv and you have a bunch of dudes who are like straight edge brody king and 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 cm punk and a bunch of dudes yeah brody king's killing it great dude god he is fucking a monster (laughs) mike do you know uh do you know vince averill no vince uh i'm not sure Please, Lord, forgive me. Vince does a podcast, I believe, about wrestling. And he sings for a band called Cross Control, which is also on New Age Records. And then his wife, Georgia Hardstark, is on one of the most popular podcasts in the whole entire world, My Favorite Murder. And so so, uh, Vince is part of the New Age Records family um that is so cool yeah mike hartsfield and i when we when i first met him we used to talk about number one girls we had crushes on and then also wrestling for hours and hours all the time and yeah he's such an amazing person but yeah i just love this goes back to what we were talking about you know when people become successful seeing brody king and mm-hmm. um and who andy williams yeah know, the just fucking so neat. butcher of buffalo yeah. jeez yeah he's he's such an incredible person so yeah. just okay. such a kind guy so um vince Averill's podcast is called we watch wrestling 
and it's okay. on it's on Apple Podcasts as well. So wow, we just dropped so much information. Everybody listening is going to have to go back and like write all this shit down and and really do your homework. You know what I'm saying? Jason, is it time to kick no. it? It's, it's time, time to, to kick, kick it. it. It's time to kick it. Can I kick it? Kick it. Kick it. Can Can I I get Rev Rev 65? Jason, yeah, this is a special one for this is, yeah, Mr. Jason. I just wanted to start it out because I think Mm -hmm. a big part of this record is a lyrical content about moving away from DC to Boston. So, why don't you kick it with starting out with until the end, after until the end comes out, and the transition between going from DC to Boston and why you made that move? Well, actually, I was in Boston when we did until the end. Um, I was already there. But the thing I think, um, and I was thinking about this leading up to this podcast, is that I think that like the there's like a very like homesick kind of record. And I think that some of what was going on with me at that time was Ashes had broken up. Battery was like the Graham and Ken were doing better than a thousand. And I was in this like rock band called Milltown. And it was like, it was, um, well, it, we can get into it later. It's pretty funny, but we were signed to a label called revolution records that ended up suing revelation records, but that's kind of a longer story. But the, um, it was like the first, like battery and ashes always felt like just family to me. Like was like, like, you know, I grew up with Ken and Mike was always, around and ashes was like my childhood friends and then all of a sudden my life was like these other people you know what i mean it was like it did i it kind of hit me for the first time that like my life had kind of fully kind of moved on from all of these people that were so important to me and it was like starting to hit me that like you know i I don't know i also it was also a weird time for me because i think that um I think that um, I everything was kind of going right in my life, and I was still not very happy. <laughs> like, you know, it's like it batteries on revelation. It's like the dream of a lifetime for me. I mean, honestly, was like the coolest thing ever. Milltown was on Warner Brothers. The studio was going great. I'm like recording all this cool shit, and I still was super like feeling very like lonely. You know, and I think that that in some ways this record, I mean, I think that people that know the Beat Well record would have a hard time imagining this, but this is like almost a sadder record for me in some ways than, um, you know, other things that are more openly sad. 
Yeah, I mean, when this came out, it was definitely noticeable that the lyrical content was different. And at the time, no one was doing anything like that for fast, hardcore bands. So it definitely... I, th I, th I think the other element of this record that is, is that um, I think that it was like I had older people in my life that were surrounding me that I all I had ever really wanted in life was their approval. And I felt like even with being in a major label band and having the studio go amazing i still felt like all these people just like treated me like the little kid that was in eighth grade when the band started and that i was really struggling with that at this time as well so i wanted to talk about oh go ahead jason oh i was just gonna ask how it went with what you were talking about in the lyrics and presenting it to the band was there any sort of memories of when you maybe heard back for the first time the, the new songs in the studio gram uh for me it had like a more of a, a dc vibe than uh, until the end had it almost had a I, I can't say it sounds like rights of spring but there's something of rights of spring that came through which was like one of my like all-time favorite records is the right to spring the full length so yes. i mean that's my memory of it and for, for me I, even though i wasn't on until the end i did all the touring so that was really like i kind of jumped in just as the until the end record came out not even and originally i was just gonna like go on tour as a roadie um but then the band needed a bass player, so I managed to <laughs> so sort crazy. of learn the songs in, in a couple weeks just by listening to those old recordings, which is kind of hard to pick out the notes, to be honest. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, for me, that was it was sort of like, you know, the lyrics weren't presented to us or, I mean, at least not to me. And so, I was, you know, we were just in that. What, what was that studio, Brian? That like that was um, slept in. It was Norwood. It was a place I had um, for a short period of time, and then I don't know if you remember this. It was a cool studio, but yeah. it flooded the last day of the last European Battery Tour. I got a phone call saying the studio had flooded, and there was two mm. feet of water, and my Les Paul was floating in the water. Oh, no. <laughs> Oh, this is fucking crazy, man. That was pretty. So I wanted to ask about Revelation because I remember, you know, this coming out in real time and it was like Damnation, Battery, Better Than a Thousand. Did what did was better than now I know chronologically the Better Than a Thousand record was first. Did they all happen at the same time or was it more like Better Than a Thousand record was on there and then that kind of led to damnation and battery maybe probably did right graham because i wasn't i was not i was not i didn't know much about better than the thousand or what was happening i just and i was also at that time starting to also talk to revelation i uh, there's a whole bunch of records i produced that are like came out around this time too on revelation so I, uh, presumably the relationship came through you and Ken with better than a thousand, right? Yeah. I would say, um, you know, 
I think with Ray and me to a, a lesser extent opened the door and Ken kind of, you know, he, t- he tends to take open. charge of things yeah, right. and sort of manage things when, you know, that's not my area at all. So it's like, great, someone's going to go come in and, <laughs> and take care of all the communication and all the logistics and everything. So well, it's I, interesting I it like that. Ken was kind of like definitely was like the leader in battery, you know, like it's, it's in like band dad kind of. And it's to, to the point where like, I don't think I ever even had a conversation with Jordan and I know we'll get to the artwork and all that too. And, but, um, I was happened in in California at Riverside when Jordan came and all these different people came on that tour that we, the until the end tour. Yeah, was that or or and better than a thousand played a show? Yes, yes, that's right. And that, yeah, that was showcase, a, showcase with Bain, Bain too. I think that was like an that was one of my favorite shows we I've ever played. That was a insane show. I could so I probably think, literally find the flyer right here by my actually. Um, I think that's uh, the connection rather than um, any could, individual. I think it was Jordan ha- watching Battery and meeting you. Could be, yeah, Jason. I have a video of that. I'll send you for your cut yeah i think i've seen it it's the showcase theater show i think hav mm-hmm. maybe sent that video to our chat at one time because you mm-hmm. were at that show weren't you i was there yeah nice. mm-hmm. i that remember was an like, amazing show oddly my my most specific memory of that show is watching tony canal walk inside the front door <laughs> and just being so starstruck like oh my oh, god no, that, that, out is here that had a different to be- show that had to be the next time because the next time when we came out on the Rev tour is when we stayed with Tony, right, Graham? Uh-huh. Yeah, um, but he might no have doubt. been at that one too. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I, well, I think the Sepultura, mm-hmm. one of the guys from Sepultura, maybe the drummer. I'm that sorry. makes sense. Yeah. Okay. But that, but it, it was so funny because now with like Be Well or with anything, and even with Ashes, I was so involved with everything. But I could, was one of my favorite things about Battery that Ken just kind of took care of things and I just yeah. showed up. <laughs> like I never even saw this, you know, like the I never even saw the record until it came out. I never yeah, had that, a conversation. I mean, that, with that, that was really kind of common at the time, too. Now, because everyone's in a fucking group chat together and everyone wants to see everything. I, sw- I swear to God, group chats ruined hardcore bands <laughs> because now everyone wants a-, a say right away. But then it was like, oh, here's your record. Here's what the CD looks like. You know, here's what the tour poster looks like. And you're like, it, it had like an element of surprise and excitement to it that we don't really get. Like you still get to hold the physical finished product now. But back then it was just like, you know, the, sometimes the band, the whole entire band didn't even get to see it because the label just took care of everything. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, um, Ken did that stuff. I remember I was in the process. Milltown was signing the Warner brothers thing and we had to get this, um, whole like side man clause. And, um, I don't know. I don't even know if I ever signed a bet. Did we ever sign a con? I guess we did. I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I don't know. I think we had the contracts, but I don't think I signed any of the contracts for any band that I got from Revelation. Yeah. But I mean, it was a funny thing actually, because we were, it was, um, I, I think I, 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 putting a record out on Rev was like the honor of a lifetime, but in some ways it was 
I think we had been on Lost and Found in Europe before, yeah. and we always thought it was pretty embarrassing to be on Lost and Found. But it's funny now, kind of looking back, like they really did an awesome job. I mean, it was almost like whatever it takes didn't come out in Europe. Yeah. Because when we were until the end, I mean, Graham, remember that tour when that came out? It was just a big deal. Like, yeah, posters everywhere, record stores, interviews every night, like every local magazine would have like a full page ad. And there would, it was like lost and found for, I mean, we never got royalties one time and ever. TV stations would come. Yeah. It's really weird. Yeah, TV, because it, I, I don't remember seeing anyone from the actual record company. Well, remember we went and recorded, we went to lost and found and rec- were you, no, you weren't in the band yet. We no. went to, they had a recording studio in the, at the label. And we went and recorded a song there for comp. I think there was already like some kind of bad blood. It could be. Cause remember the record came out late. Yeah. Yeah. But lost and found the end. Yeah. Yeah. Until the end came out late. But I think that in retrospect for battery, the revelation thing was probably not like the most ideal business decision just because I think rev rev did not have we were much bigger in Europe, much, much, much bigger in Europe. And they, it was almost like it didn't come out there because you didn't have like, now it's easier because you have like Cortex and, you know, all these mail order, everything. But back then it was like, you yeah, had to get it for in sure. Store. And um, sorry, I'm trying to turn my. And I remember that was the thing like, oh, this band's huge in Europe. Like even back then it was like kind of new, like bat- battery like, you know, first getting into you guys and being like, oh, they're huge in Europe. Like you play in the U.S. and it's fine. But then Europe, it was like you were rock stars. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was great. I mean, that was a the coolest thing about that is that, like, I think back then I kind of was it was I was a little I don't want to say embarrassed by it. But I, what we did by the end of the band, I feel like we did a pretty, you know, we did two full U.S. tours and a lot of playing here. But yeah. Europe was just like a whole other thing. I mean, it was, you know, we we're it, buses weren't that nice, but we were able to tour in a bus and the shows were really good. And I mean, I think that it was like um, the people that I met on those tours are still like such a major part of my life today. I mean, that's the coolest thing about Europe is people are lifers, you know, yeah. like even on this last Be Well tour, how the amount of old school battery shirts I would see every night was just unbelievable. Like, it's just like, you know, these, these people are like lifelong hardcore fans. It's great. What do you think it is about Europe that like, do you think it was just the lost and found pushing it? Or do you think there's something more why like a lot of bands, like it does seem like a lot of bands that play that like fast, traditional, hardcore, whatever you want to call it, seem to, really thrive in Europe. Yeah, like like Ignite. Right. Uh, right. Yeah, like well, well, so so the thing about Ignite is similar to Battery. Like I think Ignite and Battery might have been two of the only bands that were like actually on Lost and Found legitimately. Right? Can you think of any others, Graham? What about uh one oh eight? Sorry. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Threefold Misery was was on Lost and Found officially. Yeah, it was a legit release. So, I mean, I think that Battery and Ignite really benefited from 
um, from Lost and Found, you know, like they they really did a good job for the band. I I I didn't see it clearly at that time, but I mean, they the the contrast at, in Europe was stark, um, you know, between the releases in terms of promotion. And interestingly, Battery was the whatever it takes tours we did. Graham Wright, we did like that was the only time we did the, all those huge festivals, like right? I, I like in the summer, yeah. I think you're right. Because like were, Dynamo and tours, yeah. We did that one where we played with Run DNC and Yeah. I mean, that's the thing about Europe is they have those festivals, they have a lot of funding from like um municipalities and countries, and I don't know like what level that plays a role like to what extent but it's it's there and it's it's back then and I, maybe now as well you could go and you would see like every rap group you've ever heard of from 10 years ago is on tour in all these little towns in germany like um i don't know what is that that that, that what was that band that did the song with biohazard onyx yeah they were on tour and it was be like they had a hit like six years ago, but then they're touring every small German town say, yeah. playing in some of the same venues. So one of the things... Like music and they just... I think they love day. music. I think that that a lot of those, the actual venues, not just the festivals, have some sort of government support. And I yeah. think I think that this is... I think the fact that there's such low turnover with the venue shutting down yeah. that having a really great venue is important for any scene to thrive. And I think a lot that, of like, youth centers, youth centers and compare I mean, that to American clubs at the time, which were in places that were falling apart in bad neighborhoods. Yep. Right. And, and great sound and, and, you know, just inch, it was a really vibrant scene with people that are passionate about, the style of music we were doing, you know, it was, yeah. I mean, the, cra the, the crazy thing was just how, I mean, I was really young then you were young yeah. too then, but I mean, the first battery tour, I felt I was, like the older one, yeah. I was 17. So yeah. <laughs> I mean, everybody's going to be older than that, I guess, but yeah, but yeah. So it, it, it the, the, whatever it takes in Europe, it, it's, it, it's interesting. Even when we've gone back, like when we went back in 2017, we almost played nothing off whatever it takes. But in the U.S., people knew that better. Yeah, like I feel like I'm in the minority because this is the one that the first battery I heard. But most people seem to gravitate towards until the end. But I always something about this one, even, you know, I like until the end. I, you know, ended up buying that going backwards in the catalog. But something about this one, and I think Jason touched on it with the lyrical content, was a little different. And yeah. given kind of what was going on at the time in hardcore, like I loved all those, like Floor Punch, I absolutely loved, and Ten Yard Fight. But I identified more with a band like Battery because I wasn't a jock. I wasn't, yeah. you know what I mean? Like it was a kind of a different vibe. And like Graham said too, I even at 17 hearing this, I knew like, oh, th these guys are like DC hardcore. Like this is yeah. like, like this is more rights of spring than breakdown. 
or whatever. Right. Um, so do you, do you find that too, that it seems like most people, I mean, you sort of answered it, but prefer until the end, like was there, cause I know Europeans too are usually very clear about their opinion. Did you get people on tour being like, I don't like your new record? Uh, no, not, 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 not really. It was more just that I think a lot of people in Europe back then never had a way to even hear it or buy it. I mean, yeah. it's not like it just went on Spotify. Like you couldn't get it in stores over there. And so, and then we did two tours in Europe on this record pretty close together. Right, Graham? Like we went, we did a headline tour that we drove ourselves, which was a blast. And then we went back with better than a thousand and then that was it. So it was like, we never had, um, we never had like a, an occasion to even know really over there what people thought. And people, I think if you wanted to buy the record, you had to mail order it from the California US. before yeah. there was, was like there not a, even a, a European revelation no, person. Not that, yeah. not, not that I was aware of. I bet it was the I, reverse of what happened with 108 because when Threefold Misery came out and was advertised and it was on Lost and Found, it still seemed like something that was kind of unattainable in the United States because yeah, yeah. yeah so it was a it was I th- yeah you're right I think it was the reverse and you know it was fine I mean we broke up pretty soon after that um, there was that crazy situation Graham I don't know if you know more about it than I do but like. We did this headline tour, and then I was going to be doing all this Milltown stuff. And so we really hadn't had anything planned. And then Jason Hammaker called from Europe and said, I'm seeing all these battery posters. <laughs> and Ken had like somehow booked a battery better than a thousand tour without like asking me or Jason. And I think his thought was that battery would just cancel. Is that right, Graham? I. Don't know what the thought is, and that this is kind of stuff I heard about much later. So, <laughs> so well, the funny thing that happened was Jason made that call saying, "Yo, there's this battery tour being advertised that I, Jason, was going to be on tour with Throtus, and I was meant to be doing Milltown, but then Milltown broke up, and I was like, oh, fuck it, we'll just." we'll just go ahead and do this battery right, that's tour. Right. So, and Jason couldn't come. Yeah. And Jason couldn't come. So Rob from Milltown played drums, who was fan. He was fantastic. Um, and it was a great tour. And then, uh, and then we did the rev tour and then that was it. Yeah. When did, um, Mike Schleibaum come in? Cause he played second guitar right towards the end. Those yeah, two um, yeah. Those two tours at the end. And that was great. That was, I mean, that was, I think that probably that was the, we, that was like with Rob on drones and M- Mike added in, like that was the best I felt live. You know, it felt like, it felt like, you know, Graham, the cool thing was like on until the end, I think there, the bass was a little bit of an afterthought, but it, there was a lot of like really cool bass playing with on the, whatever it takes stuff. And I loved playing that live and hearing, hearing Wasn't all there that. two versions of, um, until the end and one yeah like the so the, on until the end the european version is ken playing and the american okay. version is ben schuster playing oh wow yeah and then and i don't I, know which do you, one's which to be honest yeah i don't i don't either but sometimes i think ben is actually 
Very good. He's good. Yeah. Like, well, God, yeah. Oh, I was just going to say the funny thing, Graham, when I didn't, you and I didn't really know each other. I mean, I knew you peripherally, yeah. but, but I didn't know what to expect, but then we always got along really great. Yeah. And, uh, I, um, the interesting thing about whatever it takes versus until the end is I think that was the only record we ever did. Definitely the only battery record we ever did where there was like music really written beforehand. It, Cause Ken um, and I were co-producing cast iron hike record. I don't know if you remember this Graham. And we went yeah. back to my studio and recorded three battery demos and that's what he can sent to Jordan. Okay. And that's what Jordan signed off on. And that was, I'm going to tell you what songs that was. Um, anyway, we, and then some of it was written in the studio, right? Some of the record. Yeah. I, I feel like Ken had it kind of prepared, but at the same time with the previous records, he would play drums and, bass and guitar anyway so there was not anyone to rehearse with but, but this is but the one I, we had to rehearse and rehearse right i have a recollection of coming down to dc and going to some weird like office building thing in um silver spring yeah i think so I, was it damnations rehearsal space yeah and you guys ran through the songs and I recorded them on a tape recorder. And then we drove okay. to Boston and I was like writing lyrics in the car, which is how I wrote all the lyrics to until the end for some reason. And I have no idea why this was, but we drove to Atlanta to record the vocals and Ray Capo was there and yeah. he was listening to mantra over and over and over again with Ken and I was in the back with headphones on writing the lyrics to until the end. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. It was a wild, it was a wild time, but yeah, we actually like did demos and then, um, I, I know that whatever it takes, did you ever hear them? No, I don't, I don't remember that at all. I mean, maybe I did, but I, I didn't know. Yeah. Ken and I went back to my studio. We were recording the cast iron hike record at, um, the outpost and we went back to my studio one night after we tracked and recorded like all night and then went back to the next day recording cast iron hook wow. and uh i'd love to find those demos somewhere yeah. um but yeah it was um i know it was the demos were for uh i can't i'm gonna look this up i don't i'm terrible with song names so i'm gonna tell you in one second mm-hmm. me too but um so the other thing I mentioned in the beginning that was crazy about this time was Re- I, Milltown was on this subsidiary of um, Warner Brothers called Revolution Records. It was earn, owned by Irving Azoff, who like, I think he might own Ticketmaster. He manages mm-hmm. Christina Aguilera and the the, the Eagles. and Yeah, it's just, he's like a big deal guy. He's a big deal guy. So he started this label called Revolution Record, and they would call it Rev. And then... Uh, they and then they were they signed Milltown, which had me, you know, revelation connection. They signed Man Will Surrender, which had Frosty. Frosty yeah. from Chain. Yep. And they were trying to sign Texas as the reason. Yeah. And Jordan finally just said, you know what? This is 
you're <laughs> yeah. infringing. So they went to court. I think that Jordan won, but it became a huge drama in my side life because everybody at Revolution was furious with me. And then they had to change the name. <laughs> what did they change it to? Was it Giant Records, which is That's amazing. Right. Right. And also, there's the giant oh. records. Oh, it's not so, the uh, one with that put out the Dag Nasty. Uh, so no, I don't know whether they like bought the trademark or I, I, I have think no they idea. did. That, but that's like that's suspicious that they kept doing that. Okay, <laughs> so the demo our... songs we did were uh, throughout. Uh, leave it another reason. And who are you? So and you had lyrics for them at the time, or is it? Yeah, I did. I did. Okay. I did. I had lyrics. I had the lyrics written, and um, it, the funny thing is, this won't. This my I, I, one of my only regrets with this record is that I was starting to explore different ways of using my voice, and um, it's funny because now as a producer, a lot of what I'll do is like work with singers and bands about like what keys work for them. So we'll like change things to work better with the vocals. And I think this record was all written in keys that were hard for me to sing. Mm. So it was like some of these songs now, like if I was like producing the band, I would have been like, Oh, who are you? Like, let's play that a step, you know, a full step lower. And then it would have been like the best song we had, but it was like, I didn't know enough then to be like, Oh, Ken, let's tune down or play this in a different place on the and the other thing was this was the first record i ever recorded my own vocals for yeah and it's harder than you think it's gonna be to be honest with you it's like you know it was all to tape so i'm sitting there like punching myself in and yeah so is ken uh, in the studio with you when you're doing the vocals or is it something nobody on your own time okay no but no nobody were you graham you weren't there right i i think we were all like around but not um we we left you to it yeah Man. and then and then yeah and then whatever it takes the songs that were written in the studio were whatever it takes which um again as a producer now like now we like reworked that song i hated that song i was like ken was always the guy that wrote like the title track of the record right. you know what i mean the like anthem. he was the anthem like i'm not like someone who's going to be like okay, I'm going to write this song to fit this theme. For the kids. And the funny thing is, I was always a little embarrassed about it, right, back in the day, but those were always songs people loved. You yeah, know, they're good, They're good, like, crowd-pleasing songs. So what What about that song, at the time at least, did, like, didn't you... It just seemed real corny to me, you know? But, 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 but through... And we never played it because it never felt like kind of finished to me and i didn't have a like an emotional connection to it because i hadn't written it um but on later tours we kind of reworked it and it's a great live song like people love like you know it's like you hear the chorus once and by the next time it comes around you're singing it so it was sick bass line Sick baseline, Graham's yeah. master. <laughs> yeah, I do. Li- I like. I was gonna say that that's the first thing I think of with that song is the that killer bass. Yeah, there there are certain songs like that, like like Brian is saying that that the crowd at a festival doesn't need to know. Right. They just want yeah. something to rock yeah. out to. Yeah. yeah, 
my my other regret with this record, and I'm not sure why it, it never happened, is it would have been killer if there were some Graham Bland songs because I was never like a huge better than a thousand fan per se, but I loved the guitar playing on that Thanks. first record. It's like so fun. Well, and Graham wrote Letter to a Friend, which I loved. I mean, Graham wrote Free Will, too. one of the best hardcore songs, I think. I sure. love yeah. I love that, right? You wrote Free Will. This is the riffs? Graham Land Hour. Yeah, I mean, I wrote the main couple of riffs. In the... Yeah. Because you wrote Letter to a Friend, right, from Mantra? Also, yeah, also the sort of main riffs in that, yeah. Nothing actually the word, fun but. fact is we were at there was a point where we were toying around with writing a another battery record and Graham sent some killer riffs that I loved too. So yeah, I, wanted, right I, I was gonna talk about the but, but I figured we'll talk about that in 15 years when we do <laughs> the, the the comp. I I always think that like I was really lucky to have like when I was so young to have people like Ken and Graham as my peers because I feel like I mean, I, not not to put it, you know, I think Graham and Ken are, I mean, two of the best hardcore songwriters that have ever existed, you know, and that's coming from someone who, you know, has spent a lifetime recording people. I thought that then, but now it's been proven out, you know, so I, I feel, I feel like just kind of by osmosis being around those guys when I was so young, really like set my songwriting career and production career on like a really cool path. Yeah. And it's crazy with Ken. Like I think about how he's doing three bands kind of simultaneously as well, which. I mean, I will say this. Ken Olden is one of the most talented like people you'll ever meet. I mean, he's, he's just, he just has like a knack for kind of, you know, cool, interesting riffs and songwriting. He's just got, it's, it's, he's one of those guys that's like, um, it's just second nature to him. Like he just writes cool shit. I mean, have you guys ever heard strength in numbers? Do you know what that is? It's, I know the name, but no. Three batteries. Like that's how I met Ken. He was in this band called strength in numbers and they did a seven inch and it's so good. It's really good. Do you remember that band, Graham? Yeah, yeah. The guitar. I mean, you, you can recognize that guitar, like the full bar chords the and the very bar, like yeah. precise playing. All the down, everything down picked. Yeah. So that's how I met Ken because I was dating the drummer from Strength in Numbers girlfriend when I was in sixth grade, and I used to go watch them practice. So it's like, I mean, I I made a point on the last Battery tour because I kind of felt like. Uh, it might be the last battery tour to always point out that like, you know, really Ken, I mean, if it, well, if I hadn't met Ken, I wouldn't be doing this now. Like I learned, you know, so much from him. He's just like a really incredibly talented person and, and, you know, gave me an opportunity when, you know, to sing in a band when I didn't really just had no business mm-hmm. doing it, you know? So, so how old were you with, with this, this record? I was 19, I think. Or oh, 19 no, or 20, no way. Right? You were, there's no way. You were 19 or 20 when... It says recorded it in fall of, um, fall of 97, so whatever. 97. So, oh, maybe 21. Maybe, yeah, I guess 21. I Dude, guess I was... Wild. Yeah. Because you were only a couple yeah. years... I mean, it's only a couple years older than me. 
And that kind of blows my mind because you'd already done so much. Well, the crazy thing is the, the, the thing about battery that's crazy is three full lengths in what like three and a half years or something like that. We actually did a lot of a lot more than a lot of bands, like in terms of uh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and, and like, to be totally honest within that, there's some spotty stuff because of that. And I think that's like, you know, one of the reasons that we ended up doing the, the compilation record is I think that it, you know, I think that if you pull the best songs off all those records together, it's a pretty, powerful musical output you know so now that you have the hindsight because this thing's now almost 25 years old like which is crazy right how do you how do you rate it like up against the other battery do you think that this like this is my favorite battery record it it has it has it has some of my favorite songs on it um it has, and you know, we'll get to the hot tracks, and I'll tell you what those are. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I have, I have more. Uh, there are things about this one that I wish were different. Where until the end, uh, oh, I, I like, and only the diehard. Like, I just don't think they could have been better. Like, I think that if I, and you know, I it, if if some of the tracks that were kind of filler tracks had maybe instead been like Graham land songs that were a little more, even in that, like DC right to spring deck, like that's kind of where I was really wanting to go vocally. And the music only on a few songs really went there. And when like brand new place is a perfect example, it's probably my favorite battery song. And that was the most melodic Ken had ever been on guitar. And I just thrived with that melody to play off of and the songs that were a little more like youth crew, I struggled a little bit more with, yeah. cause I just wasn't there in my life then. Yeah. That but that, that's I, also I like what I love about battery too, again, because it was like, it had that DC vibe. I can't yeah. say that enough. And, and that, yeah. What were you I think from? a lot of time, like when like speaking for myself, I definitely liked that better that those melodies and the way that it was moving, but the, the shows, they definitely favored the other stuff. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Well, so it's a, it's a funny thing. I know we're not doing it until the end, but it's like, I, it's funny because I look at all three of these battery, the three battery records. And I guess it makes me feel good about my honesty on those records because I feel like, you know, you have a, only the diehard remain where I was just this fucking super angry kid. And it just comes through. And then the only time I think I've ever made a record where I felt good about myself and confident that like my opinion mattered was until the Mm -hmm. end. So it's all this outward facing lyrical content. And then whatever it takes is like, I think the first time that I was ever processing that was a very like sad time in my okay. in my life, and I, and I, I think that that comes through on the record. So I mean, I guess for whatever it is, it doesn't surprise me. Like that, you know, if you fell in love with until the end, that maybe whatever it takes would be you'd like it, but it wouldn't be your favorite, or vice versa, because they're just completely different records. But the difference between being eighteen and twenty one is pretty. For different. Sure, that's true. You know? 
And so, my life was completely, completely different because right. Like, I mean, you know, like it was like, I don't know. Like, I know we touched on it earlier, but it was like, all of a sudden it was like, Oh, is battery over like better than a thousands happening. I have this whole new life with these other people. And my wife was like applying to school back in DC, but I was going to be staying in Boston. I mean, it was just the, you know, it was a crazy time. And I, I feel like you can feel, feel that in the record, but, but to, to sum up, there are things that I, if I knew then what I knew now with this record I could have been a, even better. I mean, I'm proud of the record and I love the record and it's super, it's super meaningful to me. Um, but also I struggled with this one uh, vocally a little mm -hmm. bit more because I, I think I was, I was, I was hearing things and wanting to experiment with things that I now know that in order to really pull off, you sometimes have to change the music a little bit to make it work. Yeah. And that idea, one, I don't know if I would have had the guts to ever ask him to change anything. <laughs> and mm -hmm. two, I just didn't know that that was even a thing, you know? Were there any parts where you thought I'd nailed that part and that you're happy with when you listen back to it? Yeah, a lot of, um, most of, most of it. It's just that there are other, there are other things where I'm like, you know, like, who are you, like, in particular, I think could have been, like, one of our best songs if we had just done it a, in a lower key. Mm. It's I, just, like... I see what you're saying, but I also like what maybe you don't like about it. Right. No, that, I... Because yeah. it's, right. like, right on the yes. precipice of being... Yeah. Well, the funny thing well, is with like, Be Well, Be Well, I try and I try, I do that on, I love that. It's, I'll tell you, this is not a battery related thing, but, but uh, um, it's a rev related in a sense. When, uh, when I was recording the new Hot Water Music record, I did a little guest spot and I did it. And Chris Waller said to me, can you do it again? It just crack the way you do on the Be Well record. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, all right, cool. Yeah, I'll do that. And then Chris Cresswell was like, wait, you can control that? And I'm like, yeah, dude, I fucking grew up listening to Gorilla Biscuits. <laughs> like, all I ever wanted to do was have my voice crack like that. <laughs> it blew, it blew his mind. Yeah. So, but now, now I, you know, now when I write songs, I try them in all sorts of different keys until I find the thing that yeah. works, which I'm sure you, Graham, with all of your writing with other people had, had much more experience, but. Yeah, we but I think kids. the vocals come out, out better when it's like like that, especially for our, our kind of music. Yeah. That sort of spontaneous. Whereas like the rest of the band always sounds so much better after you've toured the record and you're like, oh man. Yeah. It yeah, works so much sense. better. We should record it now, but that's just not how it works. Yeah, that's not how it works. But another funny thing about this record was uh when we we're working on the for the rejected by the rejected i found the tapes the tape and i was like yes because one thing is i think we spent two hours mixing the whole record like we literally never really mixed it we just like Jeez. ran it off because that was like a whirlwind graham you guys were like crashing at the stu it was like the whole yeah. thing was so fast and we literally just like kind of ran off the board mix and muted drum clicks and things like that it was never like properly mixed so i was thinking oh man i'll get these fucking tapes i'm gonna so i found a place 
that I like had to bake the tape and then I, you know, so it didn't fall apart when we transferred it. And I found a studio that went and had the tape machine and I went there, we put it on the record starts, you know, we're like a minute into transferring it. And all of a sudden it cuts off and it's Frodus demos. (laughs) (laughs) And Jason had taken the tapes to Kurt Ballou and they did right after the battery record. They just they everything's did, recorded over. Yeah. So Kurt Ballou's first um, God City was also in Norwood in the same complex that Salad Days was at. And Jason went over there to record the Frodo stuff and they just record because the battery was already mixed. They just recorded oh, wow. over the fucking tapes. <laughs> like, whoops. Oh, no. So I wanted to ask a question about until the end real quick. Um, yeah. Cause I know Rev repress, they did the ignite that was on conversion. How come there's, there wasn't ever a proper until the end reissue? Like was I that mean, originally in talks or it's been talked about. Um, you know, the thing that's hard is that there's like, there's so many people involved and there have been periods of time where I have not been in close contact with Ken, you know? Um, and like, it's always gets comp like one of the reasons, like, I mean, I'm really the, the further rejected by the rejected. We did that as a benefit record. And that made doing all that super easy because everybody was just like, Oh, great. You know, like, nobody's concerned about money. It's all going to, to, to charity. So I think that, um, you know, I have had some like loose conversations with Oise and about maybe Endhead's doing it at some point, or I'm sure Jordan would be stoked to do it, but I don't know. I'm, I, I'm not like, I'm kind of like, don't care. I, I mean, I, I think it's cool. I think people that have it from that era have it. I as I mean, is it super expensive to buy on like Discogs or? Yeah. So That's that would be the only. Have on, I had the CD back in the day on the. That would be the that version. would be the reason to do it if we did it, just so people didn't have to pay those prices. For but me, I um, I, I just don't know that I like. I mean, I don't know. There's like. I'm kind of sick of like selling shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, get, I, I, yes. I get what you Respect. mean. I get, uh, yeah, I get what you mean. I, 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 uh, but I mean, I'm not opposed to it. And, and, uh, I've been trying to kind of put my energy into like new stuff, you know, a little bit, but, but if someone at some point wanted to, you know, take the banner and do that, uh, you know, you know, take, I would, I would not be opposed Mm -hmm. to it. Um, but, but it's also not something I'm going to like be the driving force behind. So I was looking at the, uh, insert here, the thanks list, which is, as you guys know, too, pre-internet. I mean, these things were amazing because you would look and find bands to check out. And one thing I noticed that maybe I didn't notice back in the day is that you thank uh, Dave the Snake Sabo? Is that the guy from Skid Row? Yeah. So this is a funny thing: is that um, I had just finished recording um, the Six Going on Seven self-made mess album, 
And we recorded that at Dave the Snake's house. Nice. And so I lived with him for two weeks. Wow. And he was a great guy. So <laughs> I didn't know that was on there, but that's pretty funny. Yeah, I saw that and I was like, I was like, you know, the first two Skid Row albums do kind of slap, but <laughs> I thought that was I thought that was pretty interesting. And then uh polystyrene, I see. I know Graham, you had like a um weren't you working on a, a project with her that yeah, it was, was like um, I... well she had some contact with Steve about that. Um that was just like a part of my life where I was like, I met her and I was like, you know, are you doing any music? And we just hit it off and started writing and recording songs together. But, you know, she, she had a lot of like, uh, well, a mental sickness. So it was a lot, a lot to deal with. And Graham, also, you nobody had any London? money. Yeah, so I was living, living in London, in London or... and we would sort of um, meet really often, write songs and we managed to sort of record a bunch on like, uh, what do you call eight track, but cassette tapes where the, there was like a new age guy, Krishna guy who would like bounce down the tracks and. What was yeah, this and they sort like? of, um, it's kind of like new age meets, uh, the charlatans. So it's a bit hit or miss there. There is a CD out with a lot of the songs. What was the project called? Flower airplane. X-ray specs. <laughs> Well, it could have been X-ray specs. It was good. I mean, I don't know. I don't know why it wasn't, but it was a bit too. It's really mellow. Okay. Because I saw, I have some old. They're in storage now, but like the Equal Vision catalogs, and it advertises that as coming soon in one of them. I'll have to send you a why. shot. I mean, I'll I send you a shot about it too. But it was just sort of like getting, you know, when someone has. Um, I think we we thought she was bipolar at the time, but she would or schizophrenic, but that was apparently if uh, an error in her diagnosis. But when you're dealing with someone who's who's you know sometimes hallucinates and um, doesn't show up, it was just like everything was sort of would get canceled. So the the recordings that came out were like demos of demos, if you can even call it that. Plus some of her old um, solo stuff, which was like really well recorded for EMI in like 1980, I think. Um, How did you hook up with her? How did that happen? Sorry to get started. Met her in the temple in in London. Met her in the gift shop. I was like, wow. You know, that's why we just like, oh, hero, (laughs) you know? Yeah, right. Like that's. That blows my mind. That's pretty. Yeah. Uh, I always wanted to ask about that, so I'm glad I. I'm glad the battery thanks list gave me the hey. reason to ask about that. You know what? Graham. There was a point where I was gonna. When I was, you know, I was in battery, and I was like, this. Everything was kind of like going so well. Like not just like, you know, I'm not thinking of career or anything, but it was so fun to keep going on tour with battery, and I felt like I was in a band that. I don't know. Everything it was nicer than being in like a band that had a a mission like Shelter did, right? Like you don't know. Like I don't know. Was, I felt like more relaxed and like chummy and just just better. And, One and of the- when X Ray Specs reunited, they were like, "You're the guitar player. Let's do this." X Ray Specs. We're going to be on Revolver Records or something like that. Everything was like done. And I was like, but I had battery stuff coming up. So I was like, I don't want to do it. And I knew 
something would go wrong and something did go wrong. They recorded a record and then they toured with a different singer. Than Polly's Graham, what, what you said about like the battery being chummy and stuff. I think looking back, that's one of my favorite things about how the battery era of my life was that we definitely were never, it, 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 it we did amazingly well considering that was never a goal. Like yeah. we were never trying to get big or make money. Nobody like none of that ever came into any conversation I could ever remember having with the band. I also always felt like battery was like more collection of friends than a band. Yeah. Like it was like, I felt like Issa and my brother and Hennessy, like all these people felt like yeah. members of the, the same thing. There was not like, um, it wasn't like now you hear bands like, I mean, for how big some of those tours were, nobody was ever like, what's the ticket count? Like, what's, you right. know, did this sell? Like, you're like all the shit bands that are like trying to be professional care about. Like, we were literally just like having a fucking time yeah, of our I, lives. I remember you couldn't, if you wanted to know how much something was selling, it was basically like, you're never going to know. <laughs> like, okay, that's fine. Then I don't have to worry about it. And also uh, okay. when I meet people who are in bands with, people they're not friends with it sounds miserable yeah, yeah. imagine going in a van with no friends yeah for two yeah. months people do it i don't know how they it. do it i, I know, don't know why they do it because they're ambitious and they it's their job and it's their passion or whatever but find friends to be in your band then yeah That's well that was that, that was that was the tours were like we're just they were just a lot of fun and especially once yeah. like when like when you and schleibaum were there for me that was like great we we just like we would like walk after the shows right we would yeah. just like w explore every city and just yeah. like yeah it was just and that's like the fun of it you know like that's totally I, I don't remember anybody ever going how much what did we do in merch tonight like i don't think that right. like <laughs> that none of those things ever crossed anyone's mind and then at the end of the tour i mean surprisingly we did well you know yeah. what i mean considering that we there was no like plan or strategy or you know we'd always come home with like a little bit of something and yeah like experiences that will you know last that last a lifetime so man agree so i reached out to tom and he left uh tomb, tomb and he left a voicemail for us about okay. the artwork for the record and so javier can insert that here <laughs> But so the photos that are in the layout, those are from Salad Days. Yep, the Norwood place. Oh, yeah. yeah. So when you say the Norwood place, that was the Salad Days. Uh, your reference point for that version of Salad Days that's been at like seventy-five places is I did the Time Flies at this one. That's what and, I was ask you. And I did the first in my eyes that is coming up for you guys soon. Rev sixty-seven. You did the yeah. difference between at that studio and not at that's. Yes. At that location. Was that, was that you shared um, it with someone in Madball or something like uh, that? De Dean. Dean and Mike Hill. Okay. Oh, you guys shared it and then... Yeah. That, 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 that is not a conversation we're going to get okay. into. Yeah. Did you have any discussion <laughs> about not using live photos, but using the studio photos? Uh, honestly, I didn't see the record until it came out. So I, I had no idea that that was what was happening. 
But I remember someone coming in and taking photos. Oh, I remember we did. We, I remember someone taking photos and I remember we did our portraits. I think it was a, a woman, Justine. Justine, Justine Dimitri. Justine Dimitri. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was great, but I didn't, I don't think unless if there was a conversation that was, Hey, let's just have whatever. I wasn't a part of it, but I thought it was cool. I love studio photos. It fits the mood of the record being like a more personal record. Yeah, the, I, I the like crazy I live it. shot because you've had the crazy live shots before. So I thought maybe it was something where you had discussed. I, I did not to be a downer, but yeah. it's not my favorite <laughs> artwork. Yeah, that's okay. That's it, all right. It, uh, I was a little bit like, wait, this is the, <laughs> you know, but 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 I mean, I tell you I something had, that I I really appreciate about batteries. Sorry to interrupt you, but. It kind of goes in with this. It, Battery was a very visual band to me. And I really appreciated how much you could see everyone's face in the band. It wasn't a faceless, like, who the fuck is in this band? It's like, oh, it's this guy and this guy. And here's, like, a nice photo of them hanging out in front of a wall. And here's, like, these live shots, too. So yeah. these, like, studio photos or the, you know, the the other album cover, the CD cover with all of you guys like smiling and stuff. I thought that was fucking cool because it was different. Yeah. And, cool. and and I, I got to see your smiling face before I even knew you. Yeah. Well, that's cool. I mean, I think it's, I think it's cool. I mean, in, in uh, the flip side is with until the end, I never saw that because Ken handled that. And when I got that layout, I was psyched. I was stoked. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that's the one with the, the live shot on the cover, right? And the batteries it's a, and like a clear, yeah, like a tr- yeah, yeah transparent yeah. Uh, purple, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it was really cool. Actually, Dennis Remsing sent me all of the like mock-ups of that where he like, you know, it was pre-computer. So it was like, he had, he sent me, I'll send it to you, Jason. You'll get a kick out yeah, of it. But it's, it. it's all of the, like, him before he went to the graphics place, mocking up how he wanted everything mm-hmm. to Is go. Like, nice. trans, like the clear paper with I the love that pencil stuff. notes on it and stuff. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. And he also sent me all the, like, letters from Ken, like, with, like, here's the photos. And, like, it's just really cool how some of these people keep all this yeah, stuff. That stuff. Yeah. Where did you... Um, you oh, guys sorry. had a, some letter from Ken to Tom. How, where did you get that? Yeah, so at, next to Igby's desk at Rev is um, all of the – it's basically after like a certain number. All of the old, old Rev stuff is in big, huge envelopes like this big on, on a shelf. But then kind of when this started going more towards CD, like after maybe into another, there are these little like – you know, legal size envelopes in a file. And I just pulled out the battery one and it had a stack of black and white photos like this thick. Wow, wow. And that letter that I sent you a picture of and like everything is just like, it's, <laughs> it could probably use like an archivist touch in this stuff. Like a librarian needs to go in there and like start very carefully sorting stuff. But on the other hand, the fact that that's probably sat in an envelope untouched for Years, twenty five years until <laughs> my fucking sticky fingers go in there, and <laughs> thumb through everything, and I'm like, "Can I take this uh, print with me or whatever?" You know, but also just being able to, like, the far side Rochambeau, 
they still had the fucking like the handprints on a piece of paper with the paint. And I got to touch that. And it's so sick that all that stuff is still there. But then other, other records, I forget what, what I told you guys. I I opened it like speak seven, one, four. I opened up the envelope and looked in and it was literally empty. Like they just had an empty envelope (laughs) in the thing, but then the battery one, you know, the envelopes this thick. So it's, I I think it's so cool that Tom, it's I, I'm one of my favorite things now about like, I mean, Instagram and, you know, there's some bad things, but I love that. Like I'm in contact with Tom who did right. 25 years ago. Like I just, I ran into him at Furnace Fest when Be Well played and it was just like, he's done some awesome dude, he, stuff. He's, too. Am, like, he's amazing. The funny thing, Hav, about when you, Graham, these guys sent me a photo of like a letter Ken sent with the, the, the credits and the lyric, the thanks list and everything. And on there, it said painting by Jason Powell. And all of a sudden I went, Oh, is the cover a painting? Oh, that's why. So on that note, it says painting by Jason Powell. Yes. Okay. So I reached out to Jason Powell and he said that originally I tried to do my homework. He said that originally he had done a painting of battery plane at the safari club that was going to be the cover. And it kind of had this, uh, screaming for a change, screaming for change, uh, uniform choice feel to it, but that you ended up not going with it because you had, um, lost Brian, you had lost a lot of weight and then it didn't seem like the photo represented what the band looked like. Oh, wow. Anymore, which is cool that he responded. And that's, that's cool. Uh, He's great. I don't remember that. Yeah. That's deep wow. homework. Yeah, I don't That's remember. Analysis. But even this, my, so, like uh, some of that stuff, like my thanks list is straight up taken from the better than a thousand thanks list because uh, I don't know. I was maybe I was out of touch or something. Uh, so a lot of that is really like Ken doing his thing, getting everything yeah. together and sending it off. He, Ken was so good about all that stuff too. Like I just, now that I have to do it in a band, I realize how much work. I think I never yeah. really thanked him enough for now. like, <laughs> like the, the amount of, it's like almost a full-time job doing be well. Like, and we're not yeah. like a full-time band. I mean, Ken, you know, I mean, this stuff would just show up and it would be done. And yep. I mean, it was, you know, amazing. T-shirt designs he did. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> the hand busting. You know what? This is dude. I love that it. shirt. But go ahead. I know people. It love aged it. really well. It's it, awesome. You know what I mean? It's weird when it comes out. It looked like a clown's head coming out of a bass drum or something. <laughs> and then I, everyone buys it. You know what though? It sells out Ken, before Ken, all the others. Ken Ken had a knack. He had a I knack did. for. Like if if it was a design I loved, it wouldn't sell. You know what I mean? Right. If Ken had like a fist busting through Europe <laughs> on a green shirt, yeah, it was it's like, like he it's sat down and drew it by hand and sent it in, and we're like, "What is that?" Still on my want list. And then, but also, think about the orange shirt, the battery oh, long sleeve, the orange well, shirt. So, the so funny sick thing about the, the orange, the orange long sleeve. Uh, the when we we had nothing to do with that. That was all awesome. Found we showed up on that tour and we were like, "What the fuck <laughs> is this? This is the worst thing I've ever seen." And then Graham went on that H show. We remade it. You'd redesigned it, Jason. Reworked it. We sold so. I mean, I can't even. I have never had so many people hit me up saying, "Hey, bring me that back. <laughs> bring me that." Yeah, like I would love to booty. have one of those. Damn. <laughs> 
Also, Maybe it's time to redo that, great shirt. that shirt redo for mail order. That shirt made me question whether or not Europe knew about cuffs on the <laughs> sleeves because it had wizard sleeves. And there was also <laughs> a shelter shirt that had wizard sleeves. Well, so like, the thing why? is back then, now it's pretty much like there's some European brands, but like the fits of things were really different over uh-huh. there than they were here. And people are, I've never seen in the U.S. Nobody comes up and goes, "What? what's this printed on? People are re- yeah. real picky. They do. They take that shit seriously. Yeah, fucking nerds. Yeah. Over there. But, but I remember people. being pretty horrified. <laughs> Actually, we all are like, what's it printed on? I, hey, I'm I've been there. Yeah, Greg, we've, we've been there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm there. I'm there now because there definitely is some stuff that is not dad flattering. No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, I wanted to ask about the real quick about the backups. Um, because I see here it's it was battery, Ben Chusid, and then it says Alana. Is that a typo that was, for Elena? No, that no, that, that was Jason. That was that was Jason Hammaker's wonderful girlfriend that passed away oh, okay. a, about a year or so after this was recorded from cancer. Yeah. Oh, so I'm sorry to hear that. I, I remember yeah. th- that's talked about in the uh in the booklet. Yeah. The, yeah. She, the, she, uh, she, calm. she was, she was amazing. And, uh, it was cool that I, I, I didn't, I, I didn't remember. I, I don't think I was, I don't remember the backup session, but I remember seeing that on that thing and being like, Oh shit, that's cool. And Dave Welch, who's Dave. Uh... He was just like a Boston hardcore kid dude that was probably just around. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty wild. I, got I one do remember question. that because everyone went to Vinny Testa's and had all this garlic breath. Garlic oh, breath. didn't we win the thing, Graham? They, they, uh, the... they there's this Mexican, uh, this Italian restaurant, and and they had this um, they have this thing, and they have like they at the end of your meal they bring around this big bottle that has like uh little numbers in it, and they shake it, and you pull one like out. A bingo a bingo thing right. and and we got the after the backup session we went there and we we got the number that made our meal be on the house oh wow uh, another funny thing about this record is and this is super crazy is i didn't know until like two years ago about the hidden track really, uh, really? i did, had no i had no idea that existed and I was either listening to it on like I was just listening to it and and the song like I never listened to the, whatever it, the song you know and I was like on the phone or something and all of a sudden I hear this phone ringing and this call and I literally did had no idea that that was on the record until for 25 years. Pop, do we have any more info on that? Um I'm going to edit this out, but no, 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 no. Let's make it a surprise. Yeah. Let's just say we, I might be getting a phone call soon. Okay. Okay. <laughs> how, how cringy was it when you heard it now? Cause it was hey, pretty cringy back then. Listen, I've never, I never heard this CD. I never like put the CD in, but okay. on Spotify, when whatever it takes, when, when it comes up, it's like, this song is 13 minutes long or whatever. Yeah. That's interesting. And so like I forwarded it through and I heard this for the first time also like two weeks ago. I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was like a really cool snapshot of the times. Like this is 
fucking nineties hardcore, like summed yes. up in, in a phone call in like a 30 second phone call. I thought it was really cool. It reminded, it reminded me, I'm, and Jason, I think will understand this reference and probably you two guys just have one as a massive like Sonic youth fan. It almost reminded me of that track on daydream nation where it's like Mike Watt leaving the voicemail, you know, mm-hmm. except that that just was, in in the middle of the record instead. Am of, I right that it was Ken calling Steve Kim after the exactly. van accident or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But Steve Kim was also a guy that like just felt like a battery band member to mm-hmm. me. You know, he was like you know, he'd be in all the pictures I'd see. Like I, yeah. I never even met him, and I know who he is because <laughs> I'd see him in all. Those I just pictures. remember on that better than a thousand tour every day. Ray and Steve Kim like doing jujitsu, like wrestling in the grass. Oh. <laughs> but Jason made an appearance as the wolf is that when Hamaker used to put on a werewolf mask and dive is that what he was talking about uh, he yeah that? he did that he did that and also on the um 10 yard fight tour we did he we were stuck in traffic going to Chicago and Oh, I don't know if it's the wolf. I think this was Toxie. He had a couple different outfits he would wear. And someone like gave us the finger in the car in front of us and then passed us. And Jason got out, put on this outfit and this mask and everything and ran down the middle of the highway to like confront them in this. But it was like really far how far he had to run. It was like, it was like a mile. Like we couldn't even (laughs) see him anymore. So yeah, uh, Jason. Uh, I do remember though. Graham, remember at um, on the Rev tour when Rob was playing drums? Jason yeah. came in a wolf mask and only a belt. Yeah, no. And that no wasn't clothes. the wolf. He called that Belt Boy. Okay. <laughs> that was it in, uh, in DC. That was it. And and I had my ten year old, um, my wife's younger sister with with us at the show and all of a sudden there were you know man parts swinging around yeah. <laughs> funny i got one last question on the lyrical yes. content for this record yeah part two you do yes. go back to the gym part two what's the motivation yeah. for that oh i just hate i well it's a funny because i i just hate the like rough tough moshing the tough guy stuff and it just didn't end and that was just what that song was about it was part two of go back to the gym yeah yeah mm-hmm. but funny thing is i need to, i think that, that someone needs to write that song again now <laughs> yeah i think you're correct it resonated <laughs> with me hearing it too because at the time i felt like in in philadelphia there was a fight at every show that i went to and it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier with Europe, which is like the fights are what would get these venues shut down. And like there, I don't think I ever saw a fight at a European show in my entire life. Did you, they, they Graham? Were, uh, they were really rare. And if there was one, it was like, you know, someone being a little, a bit of a bully. And I remember or like you know, a like Nazi or something stopping the show. And yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's like, you know, plenty of violence in a way, but it wasn't like in not US. like not like DC or like you know no. these. I mean, DC for a period was just the the like there was fights at like every fucking show, yeah, man, and every yeah. show, and and it would ruin clubs, it would ruin bands, shows, and and I just it fucking pissed me off. It was like, I mean, I love stage diving and 
like all that stuff but it it's especially now man this like crowd killing stuff and the like i don't I mean, know it's what, like I mean, the big horseshoe and i mean it, it I, looks a lot worse but um it, it, i also like from from um the last time battery played in dc or at least the last time i was there was that wasn't there were no fights at that no actually the funny thing is we stopped playing go back to the gym <laughs> remembered graham on the tour because people are like what are you talking about you know what i mean like <laughs> like this isn't a thing anymore um like it, i'd like give a speech about it and people are like no that's not doesn't happen anymore uh, <laughs> what is it then with the, all the hard style dancing is that just well so that's a whole different thing now where these guys like do this like crowd killing and this like now yeah. nobody wants to stand up front anymore because so it's like that, it's yeah it's hard yeah. it's horrible yeah it's, yeah it's, it's just not and it's not inviting like to me i just try to picture like if i was a young kid you know i started going to shows at 14 15 that's not a really inviting environment no. but a bunch of people packed up and stage yeah. diving and stuff like and that you you have this new element too where there's all these videographers and instagram and all this stuff and people are like almost it's like a show you know, right. they want to be like in the video. Yeah. They want to be the star. It's, well, it's yeah. almost like they, I Twitter. always joke that it's like they almost want to have like their own IMDb mm-hmm. profile. Like, <laughs> I got well, this show where I did this but, fucking spin kick into somebody. The thing about it that's weird for me is like slam dancing and moshing, like the way, like, I, like Hob, I was watching the video of your set. And even though there was a horseshoe, the way people were dancing was awesome. And it was friendly. It other. seemed, it yeah. seemed, completely yeah. like a natural expression of like what the music's calling for sure. but like punching people in the back of the head like, and uh-huh. doing the worm across the stage and like all this stuff <laughs> is just yeah. it's um, just dumb i mean phrase, it, it, the phrase main character syndrome has like oh. popped up it's like someone wants to be someone wants their like 10 seconds of a hate five six video to become yeah. what they're like known for yeah all I all I can tell you is watching the videos of GB last night made my heart was beat a little faster. So crazy! It was so crazy. So and cool though. I was just I like, was standing on the stage looking at the front of the crowd, and I was like, "This guy's got a black metal shirt. This guy's got long hair. There's two like 15 year old girls. There's guys with like gray beards. It was the craziest demographic. It is everyone cool. was smiling, having a good time, singing every word." It's like universally loved. It's rare yeah. to find yeah. like that some a band like that that kind of just transcends. You know, a lot of the times you go to see like the older bands that get back together, and it's like it's fun. It's like you and a bunch of other old dudes watching. Uh-huh. But this was just like I, I couldn't believe it. And I've yeah. seen Gorilla Biscuits a bunch, and it's always yeah. a blast. I've seen like, they sounded so good venue, too, and it was crazier last night. There, I mean, there had to have been. 1100 1200 people there and 200 of those people were on the stage yeah so cool yeah. it just looked like I, a big I, party yeah i mean i, I don't think know they i had think that wide appeal yeah back. yeah metal did i see a clip hardcore. of they had some people come out and play the horns yeah they had the trumpets and people were stage yeah, diving for the trumpets like so cool the first before the first there was like 20 people stage diving yes well i will tell you guys that and i think because i i'm a i'm a i listen to all the the podcasts too but when i bought start today i think 
my most memorable music listening experience ever was getting home, putting that record on and hearing the trumpets Mm -hmm. and just being like, what the fuck Mm -hmm. is about to happen? Like, I just, it's the one of my most vivid and like loved memories of my entire life. And it's so cool. Like it, I mean, it's so cool that they're still doing it and doing it so well and that they don't do it so often. Uh-huh. That yeah. when they do it, it's like really matters. And then you're yeah. you're playing with them in soon, right? Yeah. Yes, two two shows in um next year. Uh-huh. That'll be yeah, fucking dream come cool. true. So what, what, so what you're saying is we got to dive. Me and you back to back dive. It might trumpets, you feel more guitar. You yeah. guys, you guys want to know something really funny? Is uh, uh on the last night of the Be Well Hot Water Boy Sets Fire tour, I went and did a stage dive. And um, this is the old guy problems. It was great. I felt great. I get down. I'm all psyched. And then I'm like, oh, fuck, where's my phone? Uh-huh. Oh, no. And my phone had fallen out of my pocket. Oh, no. And I couldn't find it. And it's the last night of tour. And, you know, it's like my flight info, like the hotel, everything is on my phone. And so I'm like running all over the place. And finally, at the end of the night, I go over to security one last time. And as I'm standing there, someone comes up and puts it on the desk. Wow. And it was, it was not broken. It was not broken. And the funny thing is I have a video of the stage dive. When I did it, I felt like, Oh, I'm a kid again. And when I watched it, I'm like, Oh man. I'm Literally. It literally looks like so- now in my defense, I had to climb down, climb up the barrier and you know, it was, uh, it wasn't like a old school, but probably not something I need to do a lot more. <laughs> so it was during your set. It wasn't like, no, no, it was during boy sets fire. Uh-huh. Okay. It was during, I did, I did another, I did, I did two stage dives on that tour. Wow. You know, neither of them were, you know, looked that cool, but I did it. <laughs> and my daughter did her first stage dive. Remember that Graham at the battery? Oh, you weren't there. We, uh, I thought I would never play music again when Battery did, we went over to do Sound of Revolution and Graham did a bunch of them and, but couldn't do it all. And, um, my wife and daughter flew over to go see us play at Coney Island, which is like the sickest music venue I've ever played at or been to or anything. And my daughter was like nine or 10. And at the end of the set she we threw her out into the crowd my brother and i and it's just the coolest thing ever i love it yeah i love it so well hob do you think it's time to kick the uh Hot tracks! I, feel like I, haven't, I feel like i haven't added that stinger in a long time i think i forgot we gotta remember to add it yeah i gotta yeah. remember to, to kick that hot tracks Bit of Boda Jeremy. From who's that. who's gonna go first? Greg, you pick. Uh I want to hear Jason's. Who knows what waits? Half my time. It's gotta be. You gotta think. When this record came out, Brian had just recorded the Count Me Out EP. That's right. So oh, man, seeing you play these songs live and then going on a tour that we failed on but still we would blast that song and do that thing where you dive on each other in the van and uh, we're just fucking pumped you know what i'm saying when you're 
driving across the country in the morning and at night, and you're just trying to make the best memories that you can make of the moment. I mean, that was the soundtrack to it. So there's songs that. that I like musically that appeal to me more now in 2022, but that song is what I think of when I think of this record. When did Count Me Out do the EP? Jesus. I, did we, rec- we must have recorded with Brian in 98 and it came out in 99. Okay. If it wasn't 98, it was 97 and it came out in... I guess that makes sense because 110 is 2000. So mm-hmm. we're all... It's so, it's so crazy. The coolest thing is having these conversations, realizing how many of the people that were like important in my life back then are still such a major mm-hmm. part. You know, like these like little experiences turn into like these lifelong friendships. Like I didn't know you guys at all when I came down to College Park to record yeah. that. That's so uh, cool. And then you gave us, uh, yeah, because I remember when we saw the Rev Tour, you gave Count Me Out a shout out on stage. And to us, that was just, we felt like a real band at that point because we said our name. It was fun. <laughs> I was, we were just fucking pumped. So That's cool. Yeah. Good memories. All right. Who's next? I want to hear Hobbs. Um, I really enjoy the song throughout. Um, I don't know if that's like an outlier. Um, no, it's not. I'll tell you, I, I've never ever shared this before with anyone, but because of our, m- most people don't know that we have a Brian McTurnan, Mike McTurnan, where it went podcast, uh, group chat that Stan, is Stan makes chat. my life <laughs> uh that song i wrote about mike mcturnan oh wow so that that in some ways is one of the most meaningful songs that mm-hmm. i have ever written so for me that's uh that is he he doesn't even know that so and now i'm looking at the lyrics and i'm like how did we not, did we not <laughs> well, get I, that? Never, like I, I never asked about that but i it was for me pretty obvious uh, well, so i just assumed it was yeah but uh, I mean, Mike, Mike McTurnan, bit of bow, right? We love best, you, Mike. No. Best, best human being ever. Um, I will say too that the two-step part on "Leave It Behind," I'm gonna. You're probably gonna hear a very similar version to it on the next record by my band because love that that song fucking slaps. It does. Yeah, the, yeah. That the bass is so good in that one. Yeah, that, that's the song where I sent that this motherfucker spitting meme. Uh, to the where it went yeah. <laughs> because i feel yeah. like you're just like laying it down that awesome like yeah it's got you know. that yeah the so the though that like one two punch of those two songs also there's i feel like especially on leave it behind there's so many words on this record and i'm i listen to it and i'm like we're how like as a, a vocalist as a guy who sings in a hardcore band I'm like mystified that you could like literally spit. This motherfucker is spitting. Yeah. There's so, so much (laughs) going on sometimes with vocally. And also to hear you say the word key. Oh, I tried this in a different key. I'm like, what's a key? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I'm I'm such a fucking like rudimentary punk. I don't know any fucking chords. If you're like, hey, play C sharp minor. I'm like, what fret is that on? I don't know. So maybe that explains some of your terrible opinions then. Well, maybe, and maybe, maybe, yeah. I'm like, DC hardcore, what? There's too many notes going on. Like, no. Actually, the chords. I say it with love. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, I, so I really appreciate the, um, the vocally, like not, not lyrically, because obviously that is important, but like some of this stuff just sounds so difficult to do and being able to like go back and not hear these songs, but listen to these songs with a discerning ear. I was like blown away with how the vocals were, were accomplished. Oh, thank you so much. And especially knowing that you're a fucking actual kid also, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. like uh, uh, it, it blows me away so many times, like talking to Sammy about being a fucking child. And when I was 18, like I could, I, I don't even know if I could play a power chord yet. I didn't really start playing in bands till I was like 19 or 20. And so to know that people who were not even graduated high school yet were accomplishing this kind of stuff, it's, it's unreal. Thank you. Agreed. Very, very cool. Well said. I'll go next. We can save yeah, the two best, two best for last. No one cares what I have to say. Um, brand new place. I mean, Brian touched on it at the top of the episode, but I loved for me being like worshiping at the altar of discord. That, that one was like, to, and it's sort of like kind of a precursor to be well for me in a way. And that's what I love about be well so much is you were able to add a little bit more of that melodic side. Um, right. Like you talked about. And I mean, the lyrics like where the winters last for years and you do your best to hold back the tears. I mean, Again, I love Floor Punch, but like Floor Punch wasn't singing that. But like I said in our group chat, I was like, and I felt that. But like, I really did feel that, you know, like I could identify with just a lot of the lyrical themes. And I love the melody and I love that it was outside of the box for what was going on in hardcore in 1998. So that's, that's it awesome. definitely had the most like. Graham said like that writes a springy like the it had the spirit of it even though it doesn't sound like them necessarily but it had that that kind of well, you know if I started crying would you start crying yeah. you know like I mean that, that, that right that writes a spring record is like the most influence like I can't think of any piece of music that changed my life as much as that did so like just hearing that like you're hearing that makes me I got to geek so, out for like 30 seconds with Brendan Canty when Hammered Holes played uh, here last week. And, you know, he was super cool. But just I did. I was just like, hey, Fugazi was the first live band I ever saw. And Fugazi and Right to Spring changed my life. And he gave me a fist pump. That's so I, funny. That's all he could ever <laughs> ask for. <laughs> a, a really funny quick detour before we get Graham's hot track. But I I named my one of my cats named Gee. <laughs> actually i had two popeye after popeye from far side of course and Gee from fugazi and then when we were recording the frotus record uh jason's like friends with those guys so like so one of Gee's friends was coming by the studio to like whatever and i was like you guys can't tell me that's name is Gee. <laughs> you gotta call him johnny so when this guy came to the studio <laughs> we called the cat johnny so sorry I just right. loved how I love I love the vault and obviously this is what I love about Be Well too. I love the vulnerability of the lyrics. 
Um, and that's why, that's why we both love, you know, right to spring and embrace. Like I like when someone is willing to say what, you know, other people are feeling, but maybe they don't have the courage to say it. And for a kid hearing these kind of records that has struggled with my own mental health and depression and stuff, it was nice to feel like you weren't the only person in the world that felt like that. That's how, when people ask why I like Morrissey, that's what, that used to be my answer to you. It's like, there's somebody in the world who is articulating what I'm feeling and maybe even worse. Yeah. And it makes yeah. me feel like I'm not alone in this. Uh, like, um, the, like Sting said, I'm not alone in being alone. Right. Yeah. Who's up next? Graham? Or it's me? either Graham or Brian. For some reason, Google went off in the background. <laughs> yeah, Graham, kick it. Yeah, um, I, I totally agree with Brand New Place, especially that breakdown and like the sort of, the, the I don't know, like the sort of melancholy melody of the guitar, how it mixes with the vocals. That said, and I actually think um, To Want has that to some extent as well, but I... I agree with Javier that throughout is my hot track. It's got those heavy, more like, uh, more gravitas in that subject matter to me and also the song uh, musically. So that's my hot track throughout. Uh, my hot track is brand new place. I think that is probably one of my favorite songs. I have been a part of creating and I think that, it was, uh, it has had my, my mom has passed, as you guys know, passed recently. And so that, that I have, that song was a lot of, I had this, you know, when leaving home and my mom crying, I mean, as well, like one of the milestones, like one of the most vivid memories that I've ever had. And I was happy that I was able to like document that and had this way to express myself because, you know, it's a hard thing. You know, some of this stuff is, it's interesting. I guess it's why I feel fortunate to have been able to make music of my own and help other people make music. But like, it's for some reason it's, I've had an easier time saying things through music that I, have struggled to say in, you know, one-on-one, even with the people I'm closest with. And, and um, I think that that song, I mean, I, I just, I remember moving to, I I remember moving to Boston and feeling like the smell in the air (laughs) leaves on the ground. Like Mm -hmm. it's it's, some of those things just stick with you in such, such a way. And um, I don't know. I mean, it was that so that and playing that song live was just always, it was just one of those songs that always just like, felt great and it was melodic and it was like a kind of a change of pace in the set. Um, and, uh, Ken's, you know, the, the riffs are so melodic. I mean, it's hard to take credit for writing the vocals even because I feel like the music dictated what needed to happen so much. That's my favorite battery song, honestly. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, I actually, I love the, the, the last song we did only one. I was actually, I was going to uh, say my uh, last breath, my last uh, breath. Yeah. Beth, yeah. I think that's the best song. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I'm, let's say the best battery song from the original uh, duration uh, of the group, because yeah, that I, song. I, I think that brand new place was like the, I remember hearing it and being like, this is what I want. Like this, mm. I want, I, 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 I always kind of personally wanted battery to be like this fast version, like a hardcore style version of like the DC stuff I grew up listening to. And brand new place was really was that. And then like I was saying before, like some of what Graham wrote on the better than a thousand records. So DC influenced, I just think you put Ray's vocals and then you have that cool um, contrast with that. Um, but yeah, brand new place was that's that's my hot track. But there's a throughout is all is as I said before is one of the most meaningful songs to me too. So I think we're all and half my time was a fun one. I love I I'm gonna have this picture of the count me out guys stage diving on each other in the van. Dude, and, it happened. Yeah, I love, I love that it. so much. <laughs> so count gotta, me out, dude. I gotta ask what happened after this record to Battery. Like what what was the <sighs> What was the trajectory directly after this record? Um, uh, okay. I don't, well, we, we ended up going and doing quite a lot of touring and that was really fun. And, um, I think that like, I mean, probably the most political way to say it is, I think years of, uh, never really like, talking about some of the tensions that were forming and the like, you know, kind of caught up with us. And, and I think that like, there was some communication problems that led to not just like things not happening, but maybe some hurt feelings and the band just kind of ended. I don't know. It wasn't, it wasn't some big drama. I mean, I think like to be like completely honest with you, I think one of the problems that Ken and I had was that when the band started, I was 13, right? By the time the band ended, I was a pretty accomplished music producer and songwriter. And, and I don't know that the power dynamic ever changed to where I felt like we were equals and it just, I, in fairness to Ken, it wasn't ever something I talked to him about, but it really bothered me. And I think that I, that led me to maybe take certain things more personally than I should have. And, um, things just, you know, fell apart and, you know, it, uh, and then I didn't, I, the, the crazy thing is like, I know I said in the beginning that this was a time when it felt like you know, outwardly, everything was going right in my life within a few months of this record coming out and my, everything fell apart. Milltown broke up. I had an awful falling out with my studio partners and battery broke up. (laughs) And I literally moved back to DC, like with my tail between my legs with no band, no studio and had to reinvent myself, like completely start over I tried to play music for a little while and then I just decided that I'll never play music again. And then 
honestly, battery, it, it didn't, it's not that I'm doing battery now, but reconnecting with Graham and Ken and doing um, that battery stuff we did. When was that? 2017, Graham? The, I think the H2O tour, I think it was 2018. But we did that before the, that. Before that, the sound. So there was that, the Rev 25. You guys did like one or two shows, right? We did Rev 25. That it that didn't give me the bug again, to be honest. Like I had fun doing that, but Graham didn't do that with us. Dan, our friend Daniel played bass, who was great. But it was really, um, it was writing my my last breath and kind of working on the for the rejected by the rejected thing that kind of like I was in a very I was in a very dark place in my life and it just kind of hit me like wow like I need this I need this outlet and at first we tried we tried I think like admirably to write some more battery stuff but I think that kind of what I wanted to do and what Ken wanted to do were just not the same. And Graham was in Sweden. So Graham was sending me riffs that I really liked. Um, but I think I wanted to write a little, I never wrote music in battery. And I mean, I love to write music and, and I think that we just kind of decided, and I think it was for the best that like, you know, Ken didn't really like the stuff I was writing, which became be well. And it's probably for the best in the end that, you know, but it was definitely battery. cool to get that. My last breath song. Oh and yeah. And actually I, some of, some of the other stuff we were working on was really cool. a couple I other songs. Yeah. There's a couple other completely recorded songs. That, that yeah. And with vocals. Yeah. With vocals. Yeah. And, and then I never got Graham's days? Graham sent Graham sent some of my favorite riffs, but they didn't have drums or anything, so I couldn't really like, you know, sink your teeth into them or whatever. Yeah. But but the stuff we did was good, and I and I um, but you know, it's kind of it ended up being kind of nice to just be doing something totally new, you yeah. know. Um, so it's uh, I mean, but I mean, I loved I loved doing battery, and I feel like I feel lucky to you know you know graham is like a lifelong friend you know what i mean we met doing this shit you know when we were like wow. kids i mean a graham i don't know if you remember the, so ben schusen was playing bass and got into some trouble doing graffiti and then it was like a week before the tour that we found out that ben couldn't go yeah and i'm like what the fuck are we gonna do oh graham will do it i never rehearsed with him one time show up in germany we play a show and it was just like, oh, that was fucking awesome. That's great. But, uh, Graham, you knew Ken play. from the neighborhood, right? Yeah, yeah. I uh, grew up uh, two blocks away. Um, I mean, I, I felt like I knew everyone. I think I ha- even Jason I knew from uh, like playing sh- like shows that Frodus had played. Um, when Worlds Collide was a thing, Brian was around and Ashes was around. Right. I used to love watching Ashes. Um, so I, I felt like I was kind of like coming back. Like I moved, I was in Baby Go Paul and I left that and I left New York and I came back. And that's when Ken and I started doing Better Than a Thousand just songs. And that's why I was asked to be a roadie on the battery tour. And I was like, wow, I'm going to go to Europe and be a roadie. This is really exciting. And then it was time to play bass. I wasn't like, 
that's it was a bit intimidating to learn all those songs because I have a lot of songs. My favorite thing about playing with Graham it was especially on the last HO tour where I had in ear monitors, I would mostly have bass, and Graham would just do tasty, new tasty <laughs> things every night. I'd be like, well, what's Keegan doing? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> which it was just very cool. So anyway. So I have one more question before we wrap up. Because I was I was talking with um our mutual friend Oisey. We're talking about how much we love, you know, Christmas time and everything. And this is mm-hmm. this is airing. This will be the week of Christmas that people are listening to this. For Graham and Brian, what what what's the best Christmas present you ever got? I have no idea. Yeah, I got a base. <laughs> I can say that when I when I um was 13, I had like some acoustic guitar that I was that I had got when I was like eight because I thought that acoustic guitars made the sound and electric guitars made the sound. And I was so disappointed when I got an acoustic guitar and it didn't go. But I wanted to play punk stuff and my parents bought me this PV T40 1970s bass that weighed like, I don't know, 30 pounds or something. I have to say that. Nice. I don't. I don't. I don't remember any specific Christmas gifts, but I will. I do remember the most meaningful gift I ever got was from Mike DC, and uh, as I think, I don't know if it's on the episode or not. But we talked earlier about how I lost my record collection in a fire. My brother sourced a whole, almost every record. I played on like all the battery stuff, all the ashes stuff, the battery picture discs, like all that weird, hard to find stuff and gave it to me as a present. And that's awesome. Top, top, top guy right there. Well, thank you. Thank you both for taking awesome. Yeah. A large chunk of your day. Uh, I'm only sad. I'm only sad because I've been looking forward to this so much. And now it's, Yeah, well, I guess what uh, what would Rites of Spring say? Drink deep. It's just a taste, and it might not taste. come this way again. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> so then, this will be off off record. Brian, we want to do like we said. I would love to do that. I don't know if we'll be able to do it until the new year at this point, given that it's already like the eleventh. But like, uh, have some patrons come on the Zoom and watch us just kind of punish you about records you produced. That yeah, I would love rev. that. That would be, be fun. Great. Yeah. Love that. Love that. And so we got a to... treat. Thank you, Graham. Yeah, thank Graham, you guys. Thanks. Yeah, Graham. Well, thanks, Graham. Graham. thanks, everyone. What yeah, what is time it is it? Afternoon there? It's uh, 10 to 7 p.m. Yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. We'll all right, dude. Thank, I love us. all you guys. Brian, we'll talk soon. What day are you going to be here? Brian? I am. I'll hit you up. Yeah, I'm yeah, going to yeah, okay. on Thursday. Okay. Okay. Bye. Okay. Bye, guys. Thank you again. Bye, guys. Although Battery's connection with Revelation was already in motion when I started at the label, I worked extensively with Ken throughout 97 to seal the deal and bring whatever it takes to the table. For the design, we had a bunch of images, but only one had cover potential. The sole inspiration for the front cover is Bad Brains Youth Are Getting Restless. You can hold them side by side, typography notwithstanding, and see it as clear as day. Zoom in on the photo of Ken playing guitar, crop it just right, and embrace the fuzz and grain. Sitting here 25 some years later, I still enjoy that cover 
although I do wish the band name and album title graphic were smaller. I also very much like the inner sleeve and labels, but wish they were in color. They're not, because in the 90s, printing in grayscale saved quite a bit of money. Thus, black and white sleeves, inserts, and labels were everywhere. In more modern times, printing color is virtually the same price, so you'll rarely see someone penny-pinching with grayscale. What's up, y'all? It's Javier. Listen, you just heard uh, Tomb, Tom B., talking about the artwork for the battery whatever it takes record which is really cool that he could call in um we planned to have someone else call in and leave a message but it didn't quite work out so anyway i just wanted to give a big bit up bow to our top tier patrons here billy tonnell brandon gavell brian buskey brian skiffington brooklyn cesar falcon chad keplinger cliche john david palmer dirk focus john cowell quiet keith Nate of Head to Wall fame, Ryan Walker, Ryan White, Tad Payton, Tim Shear, Tyler of the Life and Death Brigade, and Siren Records. Listen, if you're interested at all in becoming a patron, accessing all kinds of bonus material, including right now if you're a patron, you'd be able to hear us, me and Jason, talk to Mike DC for like fucking 30 or 40 minutes about battery and DC hardcore and ashes and all kinds of other shit. Go to www.whereitwentpodcast.com. There's information about how to become a patron. And there's also some other cool stuff. And um, I think this might be our last episode of the year. So once again, thanks for hanging out with us. We'll see you real soon. Bit up.